0: that a lot of our struggles when formulating hair painting for reds and coppers is not knowing the levels. So a level five or below is a cooler red, a level six, and this is in any brand, absolutely every brand I should say, a level five is a cool red, a level six is a true red, a level seven is a orange copper, a classic copper, And level eight is a gold copper. So if there's one thing that you learn from me about hair painting for reds, I want you to get confident in the five, six, seven, eight. Because when we get hot roots or banding or inconsistencies or the wrong tone for what we're aiming for, it's usually because we don't understand the leveling system. I'm just a hairstylist. How
1: am I supposed to be a photographer, a social media manager, a receptionist, a marketing manager, and an entrepreneur as well? Welcome to the secret life of a hairstylist podcast where we shatter the term I'm just a hairstylist and help inspire you behind the chair. I'm Samantha and I'm a hairstylist, educator, and salon owner, and I want to help inspire you with tips from how to manage your social media, to how to sell retail, to how to continue a positive mindset making you more money as a stylist. Every week I will share my own experiences over the last 10 years, plus bring in amazing experts from all over the hair industry to share their secrets on success. So what do you say? Are you ready to challenge yourself, get inspired, and build your dream business behind the chair? Amazing. Welcome, everybody, back to The Secret Life of a Hairstylist podcast. I am here with Christina Russell from Australia. She's in Sydney, Australia. She is a hair colorist and educator. I'm super excited to talk with her because this is going to be a very niche, different conversation that we've had on the podcast before. And as you know, if you've listened to any of the episodes before, I'm all over the place. I love to talk about everything, every topic, cover everything within the industry, because really there are so many different hats we wear. So I really want everybody to have as much information and knowledge and education as possible. So welcome Christina to the podcast. I would love for you to start off by sharing a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got into this journey of being a hairstylist.
0: Thank you, Samantha. I am so thrilled to be talking with you. Um, It's really exciting to be being interviewed. I myself have um, been a podcast host now for just over a year as well. So we Literally, it's swapping hats, so and it's really nice to be here sharing what I love about the industry and about my journey with your listeners. So it's really nice to um, connect with you and to be able to share some things and to meet and connect with your listeners. Hello to everybody! I've been hairdressing for close to twenty-five years. I left high school and got straight into doing hairdressing and have always been really passionate about education. I actually did a really long apprenticeship. I'm in Sydney, Australia, and in Australia we do an apprenticeship, which means you are hired or you're working in a salon, as well as one day a week you go off to college or to learn with other people, usually at the same stage as you, and then you go off and work uh, about four days a week so that was a four-year process when I first started hairdressing and I needed more time I didn't learn at the same speed as other people and I also worked somewhere where they weren't able to provide more specialized training and so after a few years of hairdressing I aligned with Alison Schauer, she was working with Vidal Sassoon himself and Annie Humphries in Sassoon's in the UK before she went over to New York and then came back to open up the first ever hair colour specialist salon in Australia. So I talked and I talked and I talked and I got myself a job there. I didn't leave until I got hired and I actually needed to extend my apprenticeship to five and a half years as opposed to the standard four years. And it was because I needed more help with some technical aspects. My passion was there. I was super keen. But ever since then, it's mean it's meant that I've been really passionate about education, about finding the right mentor, about learning through doing and giving back because I was given such a strong opening opportunity with that salon and went on to becoming a main stage presenter still as an apprentice at Australia's biggest hair show, Hair Expo. I got to tour around Australia and in, in the past, in my past lives of all the different chapters, I've been a global artist for Redken for many years, I've been over to America, New York, um, Sweden, uh, Asia, New Zealand. I've travelled the world as a hairdresser, but my main love is colour. So I don't actually even own scissors. I often can't even find the paper scissors at home if I need to cut paper. <laughs> I don't do any blow drying. I don't do styling. But I, in my educational world, I've been teaching for almost 20 years. I can work alongside hairdressers that are teaching cutting. I say things like to the students, What's your body position? Should your elbows be like that? So I kind of can help them with coaching, but it's not my niche. It's not my main thing. So I learned a little bit of everything at first and then realized I love painting. I love color and I am passionate about sharing my unique approach to that. And that's why I love, I really just love our industry that there's enough for us to be out there doing these different niches. And that's a little bit about my background for you.
1: I love it. And I, I think it's so fascinating, being from halfway across the world, that things are done a little bit different there. And so we we here in Manitoba, um, for the city that I'm in, uh, we have a two year apprenticeship. So, and I feel like this conversation is gonna go like in a totally different direction now because <laughs> I'm very fascinated about all this. Um but I promise we'll get to the good stuff, but we, we have a two-year apprenticeship. So we have to work as like an assistant or, um, you can still work behind the chair, but you have to have somebody who's like shadowing you or like, um, always there with you when you are like a parent almost, um, when you are working. So for, for, four years how does that work like it's mandatory that you take that or you're working behind the chair sometimes you're going to school sometimes I'm curious about how that works
0: yeah it's an interesting variation and it's something that as I've I've come over to New York I used to teach at the Redken Exchange in Manhattan uh, a few times a year and so I got exposed to a lot of Americans and Um, It was also international, so there'd be some Canadians and some people from the UK. And it was a really interesting thing to learn what our government-mandated training was or what the variables were. So some countries have that ongoing assessment to keep your licence, and that's not something in Australia. So Australia is now condensed to three years But when I did, it was four years. I think that was to adapt to a new way of how people want to get through sooner. You are expected to go to college one day a week for the first two years and to be working in a supervised salon. Most salons also offer um, internal training and many are now pulling away from the college system altogether. They don't want to send their apprentices or trainees there. If they have a salon owner, Or a person that is trained on their team to be an assessor that can assess that these people, for example, have done 20 hours of hair cutting and they get given a structure as to what that should be. So our apprenticeship requires that you have a national standard of um, techniques in the first two years and then that final year is, is probably quite individual depending on your location and the size of the team but it is about you getting ready to be on the floor. So in my experience, the salon we worked at, we were asked to go in on our days off on a Monday and do back-to-back Um, clients in a practice sort of setting we were invited to stay back one or two nights a week to work on hair cutting and as we were ready we were progressing from being just um, an assistant and then learning whilst assisting and doing some blow drying under support and getting a little bit of that taste of being on the floor but the idea in a three or four year apprenticeship is that you're earning and you're working on the floor but still with the support of somebody we might be vatering under. You might get assigned to one senior for three months and then rotate, or the salon manager might be responsible for your and your client's experience there. And it's a way, of, in a way, from a business point of view, paying back the salon owner. So they might not be making much money from you in first and second year. They're investing in you, but you're supporting them. Then third year, you're able to earn more money And then once you're qualified, a lot of salons ask you to do an interview or a presentation to apply to be a senior in that salon. Not all salons do. So they might want you to stay with them and others might say, oh, look, you've done your training, off you go, which doesn't really make sense to me. But there's various ways of doing it. But it's a three-year apprenticeship in Australia.
1: Okay. That's really interesting. I, I, I have not actually heard, uh, I guess I really haven't talked to a lot of Australian hairstylists. <laughs> so it's fascinating to learn. And, and I think it yeah. just kind of reiterates too. Um, I was having a conversation with a newer stylist from New York and they, I guess during COVID they had changed some rules and you had to apprentice with somebody for like a couple months or something. And, uh, they were not happy about it and they, they didn't want to have to train under somebody. And I had a full conversation with them explaining about how we have our two year apprenticeship here. And you have to train under somebody for those two years that like, how valuable that knowledge that you can get from working under somebody and just really, really learning from other people is because you only learn the basics in school. The reality is that's just what you learn. And when you get onto the floor and you're actually doing hair, there's so much more to know. So I think it's kind of interesting to learn it from that perspective and kind of get that, that knowledge and that value from like, um, what we have to go through so they can understand a little bit more of when they come into the industry. So thank you for that. Absolutely. That's okay. (laughs) Um, so what was kind of like, uh, how did you get into the niche of working just with color and how did that kind of like transform over the years? Because I think it's interesting to learn for somebody who wants to get into a niche and doesn't maybe doesn't want to do haircuts anymore, or doesn't want to do color anymore. They just want to work specifically with one thing. Um, How did you kind of work towards that niche? And what were the conversations that you had with your clients to say, like, I'm no longer doing cuts anymore?
0: Well, that's a great question, actually. And I think that there are some salons and some larger salons, um, perhaps, um, let's, say like Fidel Sassoon's or um, Tony Guy and those sorts of global um, multinational companies that have clear pathways where you are either a technician. So that could include colour, perming, straightening and keratin or smoothing treatments. And then they have their stylists and they do cutting, styling, perhaps wedding hair. And they've got the two, but they complement one another. So there are some places, if that's something that's really important to you but not available, it could be worthwhile doing some research as to how it works with them to, to approach the salon manager or owner if you're not the salon owner. I personally was training in aspects, but I had a strength and a unique Um, flair I guess or artistic flair for my color selection and color combinations and a couple of senior hairdressers I worked with said you keep making the same mistake on a bob haircut one side you remember they have an ear the other side (laughs) you don't and I was trying and I was doing razor cutting and I was good at the freehand stuff but I was making the same repeat mistakes and it got to a point in my training where it was okay to embrace what I was good at and it was okay to acknowledge I'd really tried I was being assessed on things and not progressing in certain areas and did I want to continue doing that and if I did that was okay but it would only be at a certain level if I wanted a career I wanted to become a career colorist. I wanted to become an educator. That was time that I acknowledged what I could do well and I aligned with the colorists in the salon that I worked with. I asked them so many questions. I had a little notebook. I was like, "Why have you done that?" or "What would you do differently?" and it was really exciting for me. And as a hair colorist, I'm somebody that always liked art at school. I've since, as a hairdresser, um, changed Uh, many years ago. I did part-time hairdressing and went off to hair, sorry, went off to art school. I learned colour theory for three years and I did textile design within a fashion course at art school. So I've really dived deep into colour. The conversations with my clients around what I was doing, the way that I first became a specialist was... I, I've been, you know, hairdressing for X number of years <clears throat> but I've been a specialist now for the last six months because I love it and I continue to be educated in this. I'm seeing five clients a day, all of them are colour and I'm becoming rapidly experienced in that. I've got full focus on it. So I would only present the positives and then if I was passing them over to someone else, I've got um, you know Jody that I work with that loves curly hair cutting. I'm going to introduce you to Jody. Another option would be this person. So I'd give them a choice and I'd explain the positives. I wanted to make sure that some people are all-rounders and that's absolutely okay as well, but I really think that I can do the more complex colour corrections and the more technical colors that perhaps a stylist who dabbles in a little bit of color doesn't necessarily even want to do and so there's a place for that in a salon team and that's how I went about it I I just made sure that my clients knew that that was my passion I absolutely loved it and I would be fully focused on them but I didn't um, do the hair cutting and styling one of their fears would be perhaps what, what it would look like if two different people are touching them, we solve that by doing co-consultation. So if there's a colour and art happening, both people will talk to them, both people will quote them and both people will greet them at the door or, or see them up to the front desk, whatever that be at the end. So it's still a cohesive experience for them. That's amazing. I love that.
1: There's, the, there's so much... Uh so many people want to niche in things. And I know that's a conversation that a lot of people have been having and not really necessarily knowing how to go about it. And some people are just scared to have the conversations with our client, Right. Because I mean, you're, you're essentially telling them you're not going to do something to their hair. And especially if they're just a haircut client, then you're saying goodbye to them. Right. So um I, I think it can be really hard, but if it's something you're super passionate about, then, why are you doing the things and I, uh, the things that you don't necessarily love. And this is like a big conversation that is happening in the salon industry now is about niching down into things and marketing yourself in your niche to really gain the clients that you want. Um, so I'm glad we could kind of have that conversation because, because it is something that's talked about right now. Um, but I really wanted to, dive deep into reds and coppers with you. And this is kind of the, the, the meat of the conversation today, because it is probably one of the trickiest colors to work with. And there's so much to know. And, um, so many things that can happen and go wrong or go right or, and you might not even know why it's happening. Um, but I really wanted to have this conversation with you. And I had actually taken your webinar a couple months ago. And I loved it. And I mean, I, I am a color expert and I have taught color for years, but there was still so much I learned from you. I was like, I never thought of it this way. So no matter how much education you have had in this world, there's always something more to learn. And I think I really learned that with your class. So What can be some of like the struggles that can happen with reds and coppers? What can go wrong? What are some things that we need to pay attention to when creating these colors?
0: That's a great question. And thank you for being a part of my webinar. I hope you were a part of the second one where there was sound. (laughs) It was the the first one. (laughs) watch the replay I I've been educating for close to 20 years and 2021 is the first time I've attempted webinars and there are more to come so there's always Mm -hmm. technology glitches so thank you for your support with that I've also launched an online course and I'll talk about that later my my niches within the niche of colouring uh, in the last few years, I've decided to really promote that I love painting red hair, reds and coppers. I do blondes and colour corrections. So I've not only um, put out there that I'm a colorist. I've gone further to say this is what I like doing and this is what I'm attracting. So I would say 90% at least of my new client inquiries are people that are either natural redheads, wanting to get some greys covered, or just to have a fashion color, or people wanting to try red for the first time. I did this because I realized a lot of us hairdressers only get taught the seven stages of bleaching, toning, styling, and cutting in our foundational training, and the classics of coppers, reds, and even to create a sun-kissed copper is all about knowing your leveling systems and it's not something that we get taught and we get pushed out onto the salon floor and it's through trial and error. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've come back to my foundational ideas around levelings and have really focused my education around this as well as what I attract back. So a lot of hairdressers get confused where a natural level seven is copper. And I created this um, this song and friends dared me to do it on a stage a few years ago at a hair show. And if you've ever seen a drag show or a cabaret or done a dancing class or any form of music, you've probably heard them counting beats or counting in like a five, a six and a seven and an eight. And that is something that I like to encourage hairdressers to count and then to understand that a lot of our struggles when formulating hair painting for reds and coppers is not knowing the levels. So a level five or below is a cooler red, a level six, and this is in any brand, absolutely every brand, I should say, a level five is a cool red, A level six is a true red. A level seven is a orange copper, a classic copper. And level eight is a gold copper. So if there's one thing that you learn from me about hair painting for reds, I want you to get confident in the five, six, seven, eight. Because when we get hot roots or banding or inconsistencies or the wrong tone for what we're aiming for, It's usually because we don't understand the levelling system. So for 20 years of hair painting, I can condense it into those four numbers for you. And the difference between a level six is a reddish copper to a level seven being an orange copper is significant. So if you go back after listening to this to the salon, have a look at your colour chart you'll notice that a true copper sits at a level seven. And so I've created um, an online course and doing a lot of different podcasts and in-salon workshops around this. And I believe that we shouldn't blame our brands. Like it can be absolutely any brand can achieve a good red. Sure, we can have our favourites, but that is really what the struggles are, is not understanding the levelling systems.
1: I love that. I was actually going to start singing the five, six, seven, eight with you. Cause that's what I remember <laughs> from the webinar, <laughs> <laughs> those, those catchy little tunes, but that that's something that really stuck with me. And I have since taught it to my assistants and, um, has really like opened my eyes up to more about reds because it's, it, it is true. And we use it in everything else, but, um, we know, we know our undertones, but, just to apply it to a specific color, um, it just kind of like, it was just one of those things that clicked. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think that that's really, really important to understand and to dive deeper in and to take your courses, um, to know more about this. Um, so during the consultation, like what are some of the questions that you would ask, like specifically to reds and coppers, cause that's who we're talking about. Um, but what are some of like the questions you would Uh, ask during the consultation or some of the things you would look at or assess during that consultation process because the consultation is the most important part so
0: yeah I, I think I really agree with you consultation is the key to success and the consultation around hair painting for redheads or coppers could really be a bit more emotional I find than a blonde brunette or a haircut one There's probably two different clients. The client who is a natural redhead, whose hair has faded over time, who's going grey or isn't simply as bright as they used to be. Emotionally, they're not feeling like themselves. And so you need to ask questions for that client in your chair. How do you feel about your hair at the moment? How would you like to be feeling about your hair and how... How can I help you with that? Is it colour that you're seeking? So open-ended questions are really important in consultations. I think that the people that are losing their crowning glory, it's important to know what their hair was as a child or even perhaps in their 20s if they're 30 plus and ask them if they'd like to feel like that vibrancy is back. If they were an auburn and a brownish auburn of a five or six level you might want to consider doing some low lights that get that depth back in if they were a true copper now let's imagine an irish natural copper or a ginger head of hair and it's starting to fade or get grays in mm. they're thinking of a eight level or a seven level copper so asking the feel. Feelings or technical responses. If you've got somebody that's wanting to try the reds or coppers for the first time, I really suggest to use images. You you need the same image in mind. And if you're going from blonde to copper, it could be more complex with fillers, with low lighting. And generally, here's a hot tip for you generally, Successful reds and coppers are quite seamless and almost a solid color. Where you can go quite wrong is trying to do this zone toning that's more suited to brunettes and blondes, where you've got a level five or six on the roots going out to a seven or an eight on the ends. Either the roots will look too red or too dark and the ends will look faded. So I think if it's a fashion color, ask for images get their favourite image and then share the steps needed to get there. If they're a natural redhead, emotional, ask them how they're feeling and how you can help them feel better or revive their hair. Amazing. Are there any like tools that you would
1: use to, for somebody who's like never been red in their life and they're not sure how it's going to look, but you would, they really want it. What are some like tools that you would use? Um, uh, or I guess, yeah, visuals, tools, whatever it might be to, to check, to see if they are going to look good as a redhead.
0: That's a really great question. And I think looking at people's eye colour, skin tone, complexion on their suitability, so whether they're going to suit these different tones, that can also help with these images. Try to find inspiration images, whether it's on Pinterest or on your own salon Instagram or take some off my Instagram at Colour Christina. Check the eye colour and check your client's eye color to see, first of all, if it's suitable. And like all new colors, there are temporary, there are semi-permanent, and there are longer high commitment permanent options. To be be a little bit timid or color shy is totally okay. There are semi-permanents for that. There are even color conditioners that only stain the hair for three or four washes. Remembering though, with reds, if somebody's dream color is copper, it has to be a level seven, or at least lift it to an eight. So you you can't give a temporary copper to a dark brunette, but you could do a little bit of sun-kissed highlighting for them and suggest warmth. Or you could perhaps have a wig or some clip-on hair pieces and different things that are a bit of a fun prop that people might like to try or have some coloured fabric held against them, or or different props like that. But I think really learning what the suitability is like. um, I've got a, in my ebook. I've got a couple of pages around that as well. So I'll make sure I share that with you, um, with you for the link. It's on my website. And in general, if a client has jewel-coloured eyes, which can be sort of a bit like a gemstone, so the emerald or sapphire, They can suit quite bright colours. People with brown or hazel eyes are more the earthy tones, so cinnamon, brownish, auburns, chestnuts. And people with blue eyes can really pop with orange hair or orange-based colour, but they also look great with the pinkish coppers and pink mahoganies. So there's variables. Uh, it's closely linked to eye color when um, getting the perfect red or copper and experiencing it for a color shy or a wild client.
1: I love that tip. I think that is so important because we can ask all the questions we want, but there's so many tools that are disposable uh, at our disposal to use. <laughs> not dispose it but (laughs) at our disposal to use and utilize so that we can make sure that these colors are working for them. And that goes for any color, not just reds and coppers, like look at their eyes, put up a color by their face or something just to show or to see what color would suit them best. Because I think even... I think a big one was when that silver trend was really, really big and everybody wanted to be silver and it was like half the people did not actually suit silver. It just washed their face out. So really making sure that these colors are suitable to that person will really, really make a difference um so what are some of your like hot tips to creating the perfect red and copper because I think we're all wanting to know what are your big hot
0: tips (laughs) (laughs) certainly and I think I think that silver gray moment that was happening a few years ago could have been a pivotable pivotable moment for me to make sure that I didn't have to do another one of those because (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like them and I was working somewhere where there was a lot of balayage happening and still is and that's happening in the industry and I needed to share that I wanted to be doing something different. So I needed to communicate that to my clients, the people making the bookings, to people on social media and I purposely stopped showing any photos of grey hair. Whether I could do it or not, I didn't want that in my chair anymore and there are other people that do. And they love pushing the head of that silvery colour and they have the setup for it. So my hot tips to creating the perfect red and copper really does go back to knowing your levelling system. And a hot tip around copper is the universal colour principle is copper lives at a level 7. Orange copper lives at a level 7. Generally speaking... I always mix a 30-vol peroxide or 9% developer, whatever you call it in your salon, and 7-level copper and a 9% to lift the roots and to brighten their hair will usually give you a true 7-level copper. The reason being is if you just do a 10-vol or a 20-vol or 6% or 3%, You're either doing tone-on-tone, you're depositing, or you're just lifting a little bit. But when you grab for a 30 vol or a 9% developer, you're going two to three shades lighter and you're enhancing your undertone and adding in copper. So we need to think about our undertones. We need to think about are we enhancing or counteracting. And usually when hair painting for reds and coppers, we're enhancing so this is a trick for copper always grab seven level copper and if you're working on a level five to seven natural base always use 30 volt if you're doing it darker so a level one to three first of all consider would copper even suit this person but perhaps you would need to do some pre-lightening with a decolorizer only if you're a very light blonde and you're going darker to a seven level copper would I consider using 20 vol on the roots. And I still wouldn't use 10 vol to deposit. You always want to use something that will blow the pigment a little bit and expose warmth. Now the perfect red, red if it's cool, so the cooler blue based or violet bases, You can apply those with 10-vol or deposit-only type solutions, semi or permanent, because you don't need to expose as much of the undertone. So the perfect red can sit on a lower scale, a, a darker scale, and sometimes if they're not quite bright enough, this is a hot tip for any of these processes. We need to consider that hair painting with reds is in fact most likely to be a double process color. It's very rare to get it in one go. We so often only think that blondes require toning. Our redhead clients do too. So your first application is to set up the canvas, set up the base, whether it's a tint or highlighting. And your second one is to boost the tone. So that could be a direct dye mix. It could be a semi-permanent color. So the hot tips are around your... Know your levels. The second one would be um, knowing the tones as well. So, are you wanting the undertones to be cooler or warmer? And the third hot tip is that it's often a double process to get a gorgeous red or copper.
1: I love it. I wish uh, our, sal- our salon or our city is shut down right now. So, we can't do hair right now, but talking about all this hair color i really want to do hair co- i want to create some reds now <laughs> um so i want to actually ask a question before we jump onto the next that you had said before earlier on that um, a level six a level 6 is a true red so i think it's so important for everybody to really really understand and memorize the undertones of hair now so at a level 6 the background is orange red right mm-hmm. And at a level five, it's red. So why would it be true red at a level six versus a level five?
0: Excellent question. I think that when we are talking about the undertone and the lifting and where the undertones are when lightning is a different answer to what when we're looking at an image and formulating something. So to look at a head of hair that is a level 6, it is a red-based copper. To look at the hair, if we're looking under a microscope or we're doing a test strand on a hair piece, going from dark to light, if we were bleaching it and we got it up to a level 6, it would be that reddish-orange, that raw colour. We would need it to be at least that if we were removing Um, box dye or we were taking somebody that was previously really dark we need to at least get it to that to get the reflect so tonally and the reflect that you see with our naked eyes the way that we can formulate is always a level six is a true red anything darker you lose that sheen or that brightness so I think we need to consider our undertones but a level five will be more of a cooler violet color in the way that it's formulated.
1: Okay, I love that. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I think it was just good to like clear that up for everybody. I think it's a really good
0: question and it's a confusing one. And and I know that I've made people's roots really glowy or those bright roots. And then I look at them and think, oh, nuts. I should have put a six on there it's always better to have the roots when doing reds or coppers with permanent color ranges it's always better to have it just a little bit deeper or at the very least it needs to be consistent roots to ends you don't ever want the roots to be lighter and brighter we can fix them but that's not the goal we want it to be as consistent as possible
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that's why we're really truly having this conversation about reds and coppers is because it's so easy to do that. And, and it's good to know this information and really dive deep into the background tones and understanding the, uh, um, understanding like the basics and foundations of reds and coppers so that we don't make these mistakes because we don't want to have to fix it. Reality is sometimes, yes, absolutely. We will have to, and we're human and mistakes happen, but we'd rather try to understand the color and try not to make the mistakes before we, before we make them. So um, what are some like tools that you utilize behind the chair that make a big impact on your coloring? Cause I know you have like your, um, color boards that you've created and things like that. Um, is there anything that you usually, you utilize that really makes a big impact on your coloring? Yeah, that's
0: a, um, another great question there. I always love when I do teaching actually in salons to see how people set up their trolleys and what they do or if you're at a fashion week to look in people's kits and, and what their must-haves are. It's a really interesting question and it's something that can be quite personalised or similar depending on on what, what your event is, I guess. So for day-to-day, I have a variation of different sizes of foils I have a couple that are almost the size of I would describe it like a pillowcase they're really big which are pre-cut like that and I find working with long hair I like to if I'm painting color all the way through to the ends I do what's called an anchor foil so I would apply a foil at the nape and then paint into that so there's no color oozing down I try to utilize foil for working with long hair so I don't crease it and fold it up or twist it really tightly into a clip. In saying that, I do have all my favorite clips that are always pristine laid out. I love YS Park clips. I find that they hold onto very small sections of hair as well as really wide sections. And I tend to use metal ended tail combs for all of my sectioning. It's clear and concise. And I, I did develop a hair painting board. Some people I know like to wrap foils around them. They've bought them and they use them for holding their foils and keeping the tension. I, I personally use my hands for holding my foils and I use my hand as a, as a board. But where my strengths aren't is freehand work and getting even distribution on the hair strand. So I developed this. It's a Perspex board. It's glittery and I've got several different colours. You can get it in my online shop on my website. I use it to low light or to work with freehand colour or low lighting and particularly with reds for if they're really long roots and I'm needing to have something. It keeps me really neat. If I use my hands always to paint and then grab my next section, I often would get handprints or imprints of colour. And when you're working with vivids and brights or different colours along different bands, it's really important to keep your work neat. So using a board for certain parts of the head or different um, reverse techniques of painting in brights, I've found has worked really well. You can easily just wipe it or wash over it. Um, and, yeah, those are, those are really the main things that, that I use for success. One thing that I do like, and I think it's important if you're doing any global colour, is painting an oil or like a protection oil around your client's hairline. There's one that I really like by the brand Di Lorenzo. You can also use things like Vaseline or different sorts of oils, but some things leave a film on the hair. So I guess it takes a little bit of experimentation All of my clients have this painted, not with my finger. I don't touch their face with my finger. That's a no-no now. I use a little tint brush and then I paint oil around their hairline. It does make them look shiny and oily, but I say to them, don't worry, this will come off with the shampoo. I like to apply this so I can paint all of the fine hairs around your hairline with confidence and I don't get any staining. None of my clients leave the salon with staining. It's unprofessional in my opinion. I don't want their friends knowing that they've had a a salon colour for that reason. I want them to know that they've been and they've got great hair and they look gorgeous and they feel gorgeous. I don't want that stain. So that oil is really imperative as well. So yeah, I think the foil board, the glitter board um, for colouring and the oil around the hairline and having a... couple of good clips or your foils that can help you keep really neat would be my tips around tools that work
1: i love that yeah i i i use a foil board for about like 80 percent of the work that i do behind the behind the chair and it does make a really big difference and and funny enough i was listening to or not listening I was watching um Tabitha Coffey's old show the salon takeover and she had actually said in one of the episodes one of the girls was using a board and she's like don't use that that's unprofessional and I was like did I just like second guess myself but no it does make a difference when you are working behind the chair and I, I've had to train my staff on it too because some of them had never used it and it is really like awkward to use the first time around, but there are, there are a lot of really key good things to using it. Um, and, and it does like, you know, diminish the the hand lines and um, give you like a really nice, clean, flat surface to work on and things like that. So just those little, little things that they're so simple, but they make a big impact in the way that you color hair. So
0: I love it. Can make such a, I love it too. I love Tabitha, but do you know what is unperfect? <laughs> And what I've seen people using is takeaway container lids or bits of cardboard with duct tape around it that looks stained and patchy and like it's already touched a hundred heads. You need to use something that's professional when you need to use it. So not like a takeaway container that you think your Uber Eats or your food deliveries (laughs) come in last month. And I've seen hairdressers using that. And that's why I thought, no, no. There has to be something better and a friend of mine who's a jewellery designer, I was in her studio in Sydney and she had all these glittery bits of perspex and and resin and things in there and I said to her, do you make me a couple of rectangles? I've got an idea. And then she really politely, she did it and then she really politely said, I didn't get into this business and leave my day job to cut rectangles. And I said, (laughs) okay, Fair call, but can you then help me know where I could source this? And she shared her supplier and he's this lovely guy that's like, tell me again, what do you use these for? Because they're rectangles and then he creates a curved edge on one side and hand sands them so they don't rip foils. The first couple of prototypes were still ripping foils. They took a couple of goes to move beyond just a balayage board but yeah it was it's a thing that um they just sort of sell themselves and I think they look really gorgeous to paint with absolutely thank you sharing it's not unprofessional it's a tool absolutely
1: yeah. and I mean I think yeah. I'm just going to order yours because they're glittery so yeah. <laughs> I just want for that <laughs> yeah yeah <they> um, <laughs> so we've gone through the consultation we've gone through the, the formulation, different struggles that can occur. Now your client is about to go home. What are some tips that you give them, uh, for at home maintenance for their reds and coppers? Because we all know that reds and coppers can fade really quickly. And it is so important and crucial to what happens when they go home with that color that they've just invested hundreds of dollars in. So what are some tips that you give your clients or the conversations that you have with them?
0: The conversations that we have with our clients is from high maintenance. Um, who would be suitable for reds would not be somebody included in in somebody that goes swimming in chlorine every day. So this goes back to our consultation, choosing the lifestyle or knowing that red fades. I'm a heavily tattooed person, and red ink is the most likely to react. It's interesting. If you eat, this is a random bit of information, but if you eat nightshades or red food, sometimes red ink in tattoos can, can raise or something can happen with it, just like red stains in lipstick more than other colours and you get that um, terrible like ring around your mouth. <laughs> um, if you've been eating or talking all day and drinking coffee like I do, at the end of the day I see this ring. Red stains differently to other colours in hair as well. So you can really drench the cuticle with bright colours as well as penetrate into the hair with lightening and with permanent colours. So if somebody's swimming or wetting their hair down a lot, I used to work somewhere where we did a lot of henna and natural herbal dyeing. It is impossible or nearly impossible to get out of the hair by bleaching. So it's only for people that are in certain areas where they might have hard water or they're swimming a lot and it's highly unlikely that many people listening to this would, would need to know that, but henna is a solution for people that have um, that their hair is always getting wet. But let's talk more about if you had a vivid dye or what's a direct dye and you have that as your chosen brightest of bright reds, the tips for home maintenance is to wash it as infrequently as possible. This might be once a week and using cold water. Sounds harsh. Well, that's what they need to do. But (laughs) for our more classic, like coppers, reds, and mahoganies, they just like a brunette, you would ask them to use color care or anti fade protection shampoos and conditioners. I like to also offer them a third product that is a color toning conditioner. Some brands have pre mixed ones, they are fantastic. And some brands out there have a conditioner base that's like a white or a creamy colour, and then you get the direct dyes and custom mix those in. Both are great, and for redheads, I would suggest they need to, if they are washing their hair, say, two to three times a week, they would use that colour conditioner once a week. If they are daily washers, I would ask them to use it every second or third day. So they need to be sun, wary, you know wearing hats and using a color toning treatment, and that would help you to have better looking hair for longer in between salon visits.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that, and I know uh, you're talking about custom conditioners and stuff that you can mix up because I. I like the idea of having options of cool reds and warm reds. Cause they're not all the same. Um, but we have Evo in our salon, which I know is a, an Australian brand and we love their colors for being able to create those custom conditioners for at home. So I highly suggest anybody look into those, that color line, because if you're doing like those fun fashion colors, it's a great, um, great line to be able to utilize for at home maintenance. But, um,
0: yeah. yeah, we use that as well. We use that same range. It's Australian. Um, I use it in the salon for refreshers for clients. I can custom mix them toning treatments in the salon. I teach them how to use it. I let them have the experience. I apply it more like a semi-permanent with a bowl and brush for higher impact, but I teach them how to do that at home as well. So Evo is a great brand for that. I love Absolutely, it. I love it.
1: Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation. I loved being able to learn. And I feel like I've learned so much. I'm going to listen to this episode about three times just to get some <laughs> more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And perfect timing. Cause I think my cat just woke up and is ready ah. for bedtime supper, but,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so where can people find you? What, um, and what do you have going on for the rest of 2021 that people can find out? More
0: about. Great, great question. And I I was just looking around before and wondering, are my cats awake? <laughs> I um we've got that in common. So you can find me on Instagram and I am sharing formulas there. I talk to both my clients and hairdressers. I've got a couple of Instagram accounts, but the main one is colour Christina. Now I spell it differently. So I spell it the Australian way. So it's colour C O L O U R. Christina with a K. So it's colour and then Christina, all as one word with a K. So come and find me there. Or if this has sparked interest and you want to learn more, I've created a free ebook which is called The Ultimate Guide to Hair Painting Reds and it's available on my website. So that is on Christina Russell dot com dot au there's a few free resources there and a podcast blog as well that you can check out um if you're wanting to learn a bit more about my podcast or have a listen it's color christina talks podcast and you can find me on instagram i almost live there but some days i do take a break so don't be put off but please send me a dm if it takes me a day or two to get back to you i personally answer all of them I don't outsource that. So I do my own posting and scheduling and engaging. You will reach me. So I've got an online course um, on hair painting for redheads, which comes with a coaching program as well as a private Facebook community. And I've currently got my founding members going through the first intake and we're fine tuning it and creating some by demand um, advanced modules, so I'm getting their feedback. The doors will be reopening in a couple of months and the best way to find out about that is to either sign up for the ebook or follow my activities as I'll make announcements on Instagram.
1: Amazing! Thank you so much for being here and spending this time with me at uh, ten o'clock at night
0: <laughs> on our time. <laughs> oh <day>. no!
1: <laughs> no, I truly appreciate it. This is really, really valuable. And do you have any last final thoughts to share with the
0: audience? Um. Well, sweet dreams to you and. <laughs> And I just wanted to say thank you so much, Samantha, for having me on your podcast. You are doing great things. You're helping salon owners out there and it's a privilege to be able to speak with you and your listeners. It's so nice to be on the opposite parts of the world yet connecting. A final thought would be to dare to be yourself and to remember to have fun painting hair. And we are in the business of making people be happy and smile. So I think it's okay to find your niche and really strive for it. Have uncomfortable conversations if you're in a salon that it's totally new. Show them why it could be great and just give it a try. You can only try and just be yourself.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much to everybody for listening to this week's episode of A Secret Life of a Hairstylist. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and share it with your friends so we can keep this podcast going, keeping everybody inspired and sharing amazing industry experts and their amazing knowledge. And don't forget to take a look at more amazing resources on the blog samanthalacoste.com where you can find more industry tips, resources, and education. So thanks so much. Have a great rest of the day. We will see you next week. And don't forget, if you set your mind to it, you can do anything.